I'm Rachel Johnson, co-host of the Educals Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Vicki Cody. Vicki has been married to her husband for 47 years, also been married to the Army since he is a career soldier who rose to the rank of four-star general and the 31st Vice Chief of Staff of the United States Army. Wow. Additionally, she has two sons who are Apache pilots deployed today. Her books are engaging and thought-provoking as you live through different eras with her and her family and the Army. Our focus will be on these two books, Army Wife, A Story of Love and Family in the Heart of the Army, and Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflection from Back Home. These books will hit home such an awesome conversation. You're going to learn so much, and you're going to want to go out and get a copy of these books today. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if, you know, you reached out to your friends and your colleagues and your neighbors and your family members and said, hey, you should listen to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. It's a podcast. It's an audio podcast that you're going to like. So here's a link. Go out and check it out. It'd be so cool if you did that. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Vicki Cody grew up in Burlington, Vermont, and graduated from the University of Vermont in 1975 with a BS degree in education. For the next 33 years, she was an Army wife, supporting her husband in his career. While raising their two sons, moving all over the United States and overseas, she served as a coach and mentor for Army spouses and as an advocate for Army families. Vicki has received numerous awards for her work on behalf of military families. In 2007, she was written into the congressional record in a tribute to her by Congressman Silvestri Reyes for her writings about Army life and her contributions to the nation as an Army wife and Army mom. In 2021, Vicki, along with her husband Dick, received the General Creighton Abrams Medal for Service from the Association of the United States Army. She is the author of Your Soldier, Your Army, A Parent's Guide, and most recently, the revised edition, Your Soldier, Your Army, A Family Guide, both of which were published by the Association of the United States Army. This book is free of charge to everyone. To date, over 500,000 copies of these books have been distributed. Her articles have appeared in numerous military magazines and publications. Her first memoir, Army Wife, A Story of Love and Family in the Heart of the Army, was published in 2016 by She Writes Press. Army Wife won the 2016 USA Best Book Award for Narrative Nonfiction, was a finalist for the 2016 Forward Indies Book of the Year in the military category, and was listed in Kirkus Review's Top Indie Books of 2016. Her new memoir, Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home, was released in August 2021 by She Writes Press. Fly Safe was a finalist for the 2021 Best Book Awards in the History Military category, made the Kirkus Review's 2021 list of great indie books worth discovering, and won the Military and Frontlines Book Award in the Chanticleer International Book Awards. She and her husband of 46 years live in the Washington, D.C. area. Their two sons, both Apache helicopter pilots, continue to serve on active duty in the U.S. Army. We'll focus on Vicki's books, Army Wife, A Story of Love and Family in the Heart of the Army, and Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home. Vicki, thanks for joining me today, and great to have you on the show. Say hi to everyone. 
Well, hello, and thank you, Stephen, for having me today. I'm really excited, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, thank you so much. It's great to have you here. And uh, before we get into your books, um, the two, Army Wife, A Story of Love and Family in the Heart of the Army, and, and Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home. Could we talk about this? You and your husband have been married for 46 years. That's so cool. Uh, any thoughts about longevity in marriage? <laughs> well, actually, Stephen, we just celebrated our 47th anniversary on August 30th. Um, so I guess what I would say is, first of all, we were lucky enough to, we fell in love and we have loved each other since, since we first met. So we have that going for us. But otherwise, I sometimes think that um, army life, the very things that, that we're always trying to pull us apart, I think also brought us closer together. Um, we, you know, we went through a lot of ups and downs and like any couple, but with army life, when your husband leaves you and goes far away and, and is in danger, you have a whole new appreciation. So every time he came home, I think I appreciated him a little bit more. Um, the other thing I would say is respect and it works both ways. Um, Dick and I, we have a mutual respect for each other and I think that that also helps get through the, the challenging times. But I just always say to people, don't give up the first time the going gets tough because there's a there's a long journey out there ahead of you. And Dick and I said in the beginning we were in it for the long haul. And I guess we are. <laughs> well, kudos and congratulations on 47. That's awesome. So and awesome advice. So in the opening of your book, Army Wife, a story of love and family in the heart of the army, you note this. When you marry a soldier, you pretty much marry the Army and everything it stands for. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, so I grew up in, in Vermont. My husband was from Vermont as well. Neither one of us had any family members that served in the military. I had no clue what I was getting into. I met my husband when he was a cadet at West Point. I fell in love with the whole uniform, the parades. The It, it was just a very exciting time. But I had no clue about the reality, the day-to-day -day reality of Army life. And my first clue was when we postponed our wedding because he deployed to help with the evacuation of Vietnam and he went to the island of Guam for three months so we canceled the wedding and I started to think then that uh boy I don't have a lot of control over this situation and then we were in Hawaii those first years and um we were far from our family and it was it was kind of like I either had to learn about this new way of life or I was going to be miserable. So I did. I jumped in and, and just learned right alongside my husband. And um, But it is a, it, it's a whole different way of life, which is why I write about what I write about, because there is really not any other profession that I can think of where the husband's career directly impacts the wife, kids, and extended family members. That's, and I can only imagine, especially, all right, first of all, you have to cancel your wedding. So uh, yeah. <laughs> this, there it is immediately. And, uh, and everything from here on, from there on out is, is going to be impactful on every part of it from moving to doing other stuff, which we'll talk about, I'm sure in a few minutes, but I can only imagine it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, your husband rose to a very high distinguished rank within the army, the 31st vice chief of staff of the United States army, which is 
oh my gosh, <laughs> that's <laughs> wow. And for, <laughs> so yeah, I know that it, it, and if someone had told us back when, when we got married, he was a Lieutenant soon to be promoted to captain, you know, very, very low on the totem pole for officers. I don't think either of us realized he would make it a career. I think I, I assumed he would do his four or five year commitment after West Point and then go back home and help with the family businesses. Um, but it was like we both fell in love with this crazy way of life early on. And then it was like each with each new assignment, it was kind of like, oh, wow, we, we really liked it. And and we never and then we just never looked back. We kept moving forward, um, but never dreaming that it would end up, he would be a four-star general. It was kind of like each time he got promoted, wow, that's great. And and I like to tell people that we really did enjoy each stage of it. I mean, when he got promoted to captain and major, it was like, wow, Dick, this is big time. You got a pay raise and you're, you're going up in rank. So we never, we never looked that far ahead. We just enjoyed and tried to live in the moment. And and then there were years when it was just so hectic and crazy and we had kids and we're moving all the time. And it was like a little bit of drudgery here and there. And then something exciting would happen, whether good or bad. Um, and before you know it, it's like been 20 years. Then all of a sudden it's been 30 years and he's a general. It was, it was pretty crazy. But you think about two kids from small town Vermont who get married and then he ends up being the number two guy in the entire army. <laughs> that's, that's wild. That's amazing. And just as a note, having been a second Lieutenant at a party where there's generals and their wives and colonels, and, and there are like four or five of us second lieutenants who mm-hmm. were there. This was at uh, Fort Gordon in Augusta. And oh, okay. it was, it was always amazing because we were kind of like, the kids at the kids table, you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. We start out that way. Yeah. Yes. And so it's so and cool. Then all of a sudden you're like the parents, you're like in charge of everybody. <laughs> that's so cool. That is, that's so awesome because that analogy fits so well too. the, uh, um, you know, one of the things I got to say, I mean, you, you have two sons who are Apache pilots, which man, that's awesome. And, and a daughter-in-law who also served. I mean, first of all, I got to say thank you and your family for their service to our country. I, could you talk about what Americans should understand about families behind their soldiers i mean what what's the experiences that they're having and so forth is there i mean because you got the entire family part of it right right okay so that's a great question Stephen. because the the reason that i write about this way of life is to let not only I, i try to write so that military people that read my books can relate to something but more importantly I want non-military people to read my books and gain a new understanding of what it takes to be a soldier. And it takes a family. It takes a family to support and, well, first of all, it takes a, a good family to raise a soldier. For, for a man or a young man or woman to raise their right hand in this day and age and say that they want to support and defend our nation, that takes a very strong family in the background that has raised a kid that even wants to do that. Then once that soldier is in the army, it takes the love and support of whether he's single or married. And sometimes it's a grand, 
parent, a grandmother that raised this, this great soldier. But it takes all of those elements because soldiers, you know, just day-to-day stress, danger that they face, even when they're back on their army posts. I'm not even talking about combat zones. That's a whole other realm of, of danger and stress. But just day-to-day soldiering takes a lot out of these young men and women. And in order for them to be able to do what they need to do and move around all the time and uproot their family, that family has to be in support. And the kids, too. Uh, I, I look at our two sons and and over the years, I used to worry. I thought, oh, my gosh, what are we doing to these kids, moving them every two years? They they went to three high schools each. OK, it wasn't easy. But you know what? When their time came, it was like, hey, I want to do just what dad did. I want to fly Apaches. I want to be in the Army. And they came in like just after September 11th. So they kind of knew what they were getting into, as with their entire generation that has enlisted after September 11th. So it definitely takes a family to stand by a soldier, support that soldier. Um, And it's not always easy, but I will tell you, it can be the most gratifying. Um, We've had so many proud moments just with our sons and, and with my husband that I wouldn't trade any of it. And I am so glad that I got to be part of this with him, this journey. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. And there's so many, I, I can only imagine with the experiences and some of the stuff we're going to get into. And, and, and by the way, when you, you talked about writing for just anyone, um, you do. I mean, the, the, your writing's compelling. You want to know what's going to come next. And uh, it's, it, it keeps your focus, keeps the reader engaged. And I got it. Oh, good. It's awesome. Good. So. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you've experienced the following in m- many different ways over the years, uh, could you share, and you kind of talked about it just a second ago, but could you share what thoughts come to mind when you think of orders for deployment? I mean, what just pops in your head right away? Well, it, it's, it's scary. You hear that word deployment. And when we first got married, I was clueless. So when my husband said, Vicki, cancel the wedding, I'm deploying. And I'm in college back in Vermont at the University of Vermont in my sorority house. And I'm thinking, deploy, what does that mean? And he says, I'm going away. I can't tell you where, for how long, whatever. I knew it had to do with Vietnam, but it was like the the last days of Vietnam. So I couldn't figure out why he was going. So that initial, um, the first time I heard deployment, it was like, I just didn't know. After that, I knew. So when he would come home and say, Vicki, there's a possible deployment coming up. Um, it's like you get a little bit sweaty and, and you know, it's like I initially I want to resist. I'll say, well, you can't go. You just got back from somewhere. You know, oftentimes it was, you know, that situation. And um, but then it's like within hours we start mapping things out and and then it's like you come to terms with it like anything um but i have to say the hardest thing of all so i went through a lot with my husband during his career but then when our son started deploying it, it's a whole new ball game i mean the level of fear is different than when my husband deployed I don't know why I always thought my husband was just invincible. He could do anything. He was always going to come home and I didn't have to worry about him. And and plus he was older, 
But, you know, our sons started deploying within a year of September 11th, and they were in their early 20s, right out of flight school, each of them. And suddenly one was, you know, the oldest was in Afghanistan. And then a year later, they were both in Iraq together. I have to say that was um, a pretty stressful that was my most challenging time, worse, far worse than any deployment my husband went on. So when you say deployment to me, I initially think about my husband, but we got through all those. And then it's like I go right to our sons and having to send them off. And it is not easy. I, having two sons of my own, I can only I cannot imagine. I mean, because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's you can think about things <laughs> that for some reason it's more impactful thinking about your own children, I would imagine. So, right. It is. Um, yes. They, uh, so one of the things I got to ask you is, you know, in terms of the army and war deployment, I mean, at some point you had to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was that like? Well, again, um, in, in my second book, fly safe that deals just with, a one-year time frame in my life, um, Desert Storm, the first Gulf War. That book, I was able to go into depth um, on different things like saying goodbye, the welcome home and all that, because I wasn't covering as much material like I did with the first book, Army Wife. So in uh, Fly Safe, I, I talk about that, and it's almost like stages of grief, um, like you know, you get, you, you find out they're going to deploy. And sometimes, you know, for desert storm, my husband deployed within two weeks of getting the notice. So during those two weeks, you go from, you know, resistance, you want to resist it. It's like, no, this isn't happening. I don't want to go through this again. I always have times like that where I simply say, I want to quit. I'm not doing this, but I never did. Um, And then you start the planning. It's like you start mapping it out. Okay, well, how long do you think you're going to be gone? Um, You know, you go through this whole thing. And then what I learned over time, the person that's deploying they get into this whole mode of they get the game face on. They are ready to go. This is what they've trained for. My husband was probably so excited when he got those deployment orders for Desert Storm, but he has to contain it because he doesn't want me to think he's excited. Um, but to him, this is like when the coach says, you know, you're at the Super Bowl and hey, you get to go into the big game. This is how soldiers ultimately feel when the deployment orders come. So they have to balance that with kind of worrying about their family that they're going to leave. And, and I have to say leading up to the goodbye is the hardest part. Once you get to the point where you've accepted everything, he's packed up, loaded up, you're going, he's got the game face on you say goodbye. And there is almost a sense of relief because that piece of it is over. And sometimes it's, the fear of the unknown of sending them off, maybe like sending your kids off to college, same type of thing. Once you do it, it's kind of like, okay, I can get through this. It wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, So the goodbye is always, it's emotional. But for me, I tried so hard not to be emotional 
at the very end when I was saying goodbye. I felt like that was not fair to him. I didn't want him having anything else on his plate, having to worry about me crying and, you know, and, and then also here's the other piece of the goodbyes. When you have kids, I felt like it was so important that not that I was like so brave that I didn't show emotions with our sons, but I tried to be age appropriate with the emotions. And if they were younger, I, I tried to gloss over it as they were a little bit older and could handle it. It would, I would just say, you know, boys, this is going to be rough. Dad's going to be gone for a few months. Um, but hopefully everything's going to be okay. And we're going to get through this together. Um, so, you know, there was that piece of it when you have kids depending on you and your attitude directly affects them and how they will handle it. And I think I was very lucky that because I was able to handle things and adjust, our sons did too. They never really had too rough of a time. They, they really didn't. I mean, and now they're doing the same thing and they have little kids and they have to say goodbye to them. That's hard as a grandparent, <laughs> whole oh, other topic. <laughs> right, I can imagine. Oh my gosh. The, uh, yeah, that probably writes a book just about that. Um, right. <laughs> um, so, uh, thank you for talking about that. I, you know, that's that. I, I wanted to kind of point out that part. That's a big part of the family, you know, and, and having right. to say goodbye eventually because it's not just orders. It's it eventually comes to that day, and now you move on. Um, you know, in your book, Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home, you recall this. As I stood there watching, I had an unprecedented experience. It was the first time in Dick's career that I felt support from perfect strangers and as if what he was doing really mattered. Could you share what was going on? Because this is a cool story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess because at that point in time, we'd been married 15 years. We had, you know, there had been some short deployments. He had been gone a lot. But I was living with people that lived exactly the way I did, which there was comfort in that. And I think that's why I did well. Our sons did well. We usually lived on an army post. We were surrounded by people that were doing the, the exact same thing. So I think sometimes you don't think that what you do or maybe what your spouse does is anything special because everybody else's husband is going off to do this, you know, big, you know, Gulf War. And everybody was going through the, the same thing. And it's not like we sit around patting each other on the back saying, oh, wow, that's really great what you, you know, what your husband's doing, because everybody's husband. So basically, when you're living with people that are all living the same life as you, you tend to maybe overlook just what is, is going on and, and how great um the sacrifice that your your spouse is making. And so the kids and I, during Desert Storm, we had gone to an NBA basketball game. And afterwards, we were with some friends, and they took us down onto the court, and we got to meet some of the players. And our sons were probably, um, they were 11 and 13 at the time, and they just, oh, they just wanted to meet Charles Barkley and get all these autographs and pictures. And our friend, who was a former uh, soldier, he went up to Charles Barkley and he said, um, 
Mr. Barkley, would you come get your picture with these two boys? Their dad is over in the Gulf War. He's fighting for our country. And Charles Barkley immediately came over. It was the cutest thing. And he just looked at, at my two little boys and he said, thank you so much for what your father is doing for our country. And he said, I'd love to get my picture with you. They took pictures, autographs. And then the next thing, Dominique Wilkins was coming over and the other players. And that night, I just, I was struck by the fact that I had never had people thank me or my husband for his service. And I loved it that our sons got to witness this and they suddenly they looked at it in a different light as well. And we all came away from that little excursion. It was in Atlanta. And on the way home, the three of us talked about it and they said, mom, that was like really cool that, that people think what dad is doing is so great. And I said, I know it's the first time I felt that. Um, it was pretty amazing. And it happened, you know, a few more times. And, and certainly I think, and I think you'll agree with me, since September 11th, 2001, and all the combat deployments, don't you find that Americans, maybe it's waning a little bit now, but initially, they were so supportive of the military. Everyone was patriotic. People went up and thanked soldiers just on the street. I think it's become a little bit more normal and mainstream um, today. And, and I'm thankful for that because you can never do that enough. You can never say thank you enough to the men and women in uniform. Oh, you're so right. Uh, just as a note, I was at a Braves game yesterday here in Atlanta and uh, um, they do a neat thing where they recognize hometown, they call them hometown heroes. And, um, oh, great. and they, they show some of the pictures of them, tell some of their mm -hmm. story and then have them walk out and they have them wave to the crowd. And then they recognize veterans as well and have them stand and so forth. So they do lots of stuff like that at the, at, at those baseball games, which is cool. Right. So, yeah. That's really great. So that's, that's, that's excellent. I, and I'm, I'm glad you told that story because that is such a, <laughs> I, I read that a couple of times as I, you know, I re back and reread it again, which I thought was cool. Uh -huh. So, um, so you mentioned it a little bit. I mean, how did the events of nine 11 impact you and your, and your family? I mean, you, there's, there's part of it. Your husband immediately gets impacted and then. Right. Yeah. That, um, September 11th, um, it impacted every American. I think we all know that. Um, but for those of us with loved ones in the military, it was a game changer because, after September 11th, pretty much right away, we went from an army at peace to an army at war. So up until then, um, as our sons got older and one was already in the army and in flight school, learning to fly Apaches when September 11th happened, and our younger son was at Texas A&M and would soon be going to flight school and into the army, as they were growing up, I just thought that was like so cool. Oh, I'm so glad you boys, both of us, my husband and I, we thought it was great that they wanted to follow in their dad's footsteps. But I just kept thinking in terms of, okay, they're going to go into the army and fly helicopters, period. I wasn't thinking about combat deployments. But then September 11th happened, and my husband at the time uh was a two-star general commanding the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell. And two days after September 11th, our son Clint called his dad's office and he said, Dad, I know you're going to combat and I want to go with you. I want to come to the 101st. 
And Dick got off the phone. He said, Vicki, what do I do? And I said, I don't know, but if this is what he wants, and I said, and quite frankly, if anybody's going to combat, I want you guys to go together. So anyway, um, our son did come to the 101st, and within a couple of months, he his unit deployed. And But my husband didn't. They, they didn't call for the division headquarters. They were, at that point, they were just sending units, individual units, to Afghanistan for this big Operation Anaconda. So... I always go back to that day, September 11th, for me, I went from not just being an army wife where I thought I knew all the rules of the game. I had done everything. I had been there, done that, and I was doing just fine. Dick and I were having a great little life. But after that, it was like game on. Now it's going to involve our sons, their friends, because a lot of their friends, army brats, all just, you know, joined the army as well. That was when I thought, you know what, this is not fun and this is serious stuff. And so for our family, September 11th was a definite game changer. Um, Our sons from then on deployed, well, our oldest son deployed six times to Iraq and Afghanistan, our younger son three times. Um, My husband by then was moving up quickly and was at the Pentagon and kind of running the war from back at the Pentagon. Um, But the impact of that was he was um, kind of deciding what units were going and he was the one signing the orders for our son's deployment orders, quite frankly. Um, That was, that was a stressful time for him because he saw all those soldiers that were going off to war as his own sons and daughters. Um, So It was definitely a challenging time, but for me, that was when I started writing. Soon after um, our son started deploying, I wrote that first book for for the Army to hand out for free to all those parents out there. I just wanted to do something to try to help them get through deployments because I thought if I'm scared about it, I can only imagine what the average person out there that maybe has no affiliation with the military So I wrote that book, a little 64-page booklet, and immediately felt the impact and the power of the written word when I started hearing from families all over the country, even from soldiers that said, thank you for writing this. It gave me a way to tell my family what I'm doing. That's when I thought, I'm going to write, I'm going to try writing another book, a memoir that would be big, all-encompassing. So I often think that that while September 11th impacted my husband and sons, it also had, I think, a positive impact on me because it got me to where I think I was always supposed to be but didn't know it and led me down this path to start writing. Well, that's excellent. And uh, um, it, it definitely is a path that uh, you seem to fit well with because I, the way you're, you write is, is just kudos to you. So it's good stuff. I, you know, And i got to ask you because you've mentioned – these books that you wrote, uh, um, the, your soldier, your army, a family guide. Um, and you told us why you wrote it. Can you mm-hmm. talk about some of the stuff that's in there that, uh, that's meant to help the, the families understand? Well, yes. Um, so the interesting thing is when the war initially started in Iraq, so this would have been, Oh, that winter of, uh, 2003, I believe, the Army immediately set up a toll-free hotline up in Washington, D.C., and the chief of staff asked me and a couple of my friends if we would 
sit and, and sit at the phone banks and answer phone calls because the calls were coming in because you have to understand when they started sending full up divisions over to Iraq or in preparation for the war in Iraq, it was the largest mobilization of our military since I think World War II, because even in Vietnam, we didn't send entire divisions. It, again, it was small units going and constantly rotating. So this was a massive, massive deployment and the National Guard and Reserves were activated. So suddenly the impact of deployments and combat was affecting a very large majority of people, Americans that hadn't experienced it before. So people were calling this 1-800 number in, in Washington, DC. And we had probably, there were, we had some experts and then we had the volunteers like me, but we were given this big thick notebook. This notebook was so big, it probably weighed 20 pounds. It was everything you could ever want to know about the army. There were some other things about other services, Navy and Marines, but it was primarily the army that was deployed. Um, and so I would answer these phone calls. And what I found early on was it was mostly parents calling in and grandparents. And they were saying very basic, they had very basic questions like, I don't understand where my soldier is. I, he left from such and such a post, but now I don't know how to get a hold of him. So all this basic information. And because both my sons were deployed at the time, I'm sitting there talking to these parents. And I said, I know exactly how you feel. My two sons are over there. Oh my gosh, your sons are there. Yes. My sons are there as well. So after a couple of weeks of answering these phone calls, I said to my husband, you know what, what if I took just the most basic information, not the big notebook, but piled it or pared it down to the most basic information about when your soldier enters the army, what to expect, um, all the rank, all the terms and acronyms that they're going to encounter. Then a couple of chapters on actual deployment orders, uh, what to expect with that. Um, and with all of my, you know, trying to teach parents I also, I used my own experiences. So I would teach them through things I had been through as an army wife first and now as an army mom. So I think that's why that booklet became so popular and so relatable because I wasn't just somebody sitting there writing about something I knew nothing about. I was living it right alongside them. And the reaction was unbelievable. I mean, 10,000 books were handed out the first two weeks. They couldn't even keep them. Um, but I kept it very, very basic. And I think that's why I wanted to follow up and write a memoir, because I realized I had so much to say. But for that particular audience, I needed to keep it to the very basics and kind of guide parents through that journey with their soldier and also get them to learn to appreciate what their soldier was doing and not just worry about deployments, but when the soldier is back to, to just really appreciate and, and be engaged with this way of life. And I think it, it was very successful. That's awesome. That is so awesome. I, they, uh, um, just, just a side note, you made me think of something uh, so I, I got to tell you this, Vicki, one of the things that you've made me think of in, in thinking about it, because parents getting in touch with their their mm -hmm. sons and their grandchildren and stuff like this. You know, one of the things when when I went to basic training in 1981, um, 
the uh, there's you had time in which to well, you tried to find time, kind of, <laughs> because yes. to go to the payphones so that you could stand in line at the payphone, and they had all these these banks of payphones that you would stand yes. out there and and wait your turn to get into, and you know you take that time frame and you come forward to this modern era where we had the cell phones and such. Can you talk a little bit about? I mean, because you lived that experience too. I mean, we're right, it's, right. It's a great question because I do. I I that was one of the things I wanted to capture in my second book, Fly Safe, the one about the Gulf War, because that was 1990, 1991. We had no cell phones. Um, I didn't even have a computer. Most of us didn't have personal computers. If I wanted to get in touch with my husband, I had to go into the headquarters, use a computer there, and hope that it somehow went through, because email wasn't even, I don't, I forget what it was called back then in 1990, but it wasn't like you just got on the computer and emailed your your loved one. So we went from that and I wanted I wanted the readers to to see what that was like to go to not have any communication, to go weeks sometimes with nothing, which is why I based that book on the letters that my husband wrote me. He wrote me 94 letters that year. It was pretty amazing when I think about it because he was a busy man. <laughs> And um, so I wanted to to give people a sense of, and I said it before, the power of the written word. There's nothing like it. Um, You know, I still have those letters after 31 years. I can read them. I can touch them, look at them. Emails and texts, I don't think we, there's no way we were going to save them that long. And most of the time you delete half of them anyway. You don't have something tangible that you carry around with you. And so that book is all about that time frame. But by the end of the book, I mentioned the fact that our sons are, are deployed. And when they first deployed, once again, there was no communication. We got back to the old fashioned letter writing. But as the as the deployments um, progressed throughout the 2000s and so by, I would say, 2006, 2007, when they were deployed, then they were allowed to have a cell phone. We didn't talk. Um, but oh, actually, no, they didn't have cell phones. We emailed. Okay, the texting didn't come until each of our sons, I think, was deployed again, uh, like maybe 2013. By then, they were FaceTiming with their kids and wife back home. And there's a little bit of a, you know, it's a mixed blessing, I have to say, with that kind of technology. Because I would watch my the grandkids and daughter-in-law on the phone with my son. He's in a combat zone. Sometimes you hear stuff in the background and then it would be, hey, honey, I got to go. And the line goes dead. That's very stressful. I didn't know any of that. I did not know when my husband's, you know, unit was coming under attack. I didn't know until after the fact. I'd get a letter 10 days later. Hey, honey, you know, I flew. I did this dangerous thing, whatever. I didn't even know what he was up to. And I have to say, there's something to be said for that because we didn't, we, I didn't live day to day. That's how I was able to compartmentalize the fear, I think, and the stress. I didn't know. So in my mind, I told myself, okay, no news is good news. He must be doing okay. I haven't heard otherwise. Whereas our daughter-in-laws, you know, there were times when they lived by that phone and it was like, well, we were supposed to FaceTime today. He hasn't called. So, 
you know, I caution people that, you know, the very thing that, that keeps you connected, instant communication can also be a little bit of a detriment during a combat deployment. Um, but anyway, that that's what my writing does talk about the, you know, the Gulf war with, with no communication except handwritten letters. And, and now today they have all kinds of capabilities and sometimes you don't even realize where they are because you're talking to them on a little cell phone. <laughs> it's crazy how that, uh, how that's changed and it's, yeah. uh, and, and, and <laughs> kind of the, what you have to accept with it, like you said, right. you, um, with this ability comes uh, some other problems that you didn't think about before. So right. powerful. Uh, you know, unfortunately, not all soldiers return home, whether physically or psychologically. Uh, could you talk about what we could do to support our veterans, the families, of the soldiers who gave their all and for our wounded warriors? Well, I, I would just say, if you, first of all, if you know of a family that has a soldier that might be struggling, reach out to them um, in any way that you can, whatever that involves. Um, you know, just there's so many great organizations out there. Do a little research before you hand over any money. But, um, you know, there are a lot of organizations that are doing great things for the soldiers that come back with, with visible and invisible wounds. Um, I, I have to take a quote from my husband. He said this more than once. He tells people, live, as an American, live your life each day that is worthy of the sacrifices that the men and women in uniform are making for you. Um, I can't think of any other way to say it except, you know, reach out and thank soldiers when you see them. Um, if you feel like donating to a, a worthy organization that helps them, um, you know, that's, that's a, a personal thing, but you know, I, I can't really think of, uh, anything, you know, really specific. Uh, my husband runs a couple of, of, um, nonprofits. Um, and so I don't want to get into that. You know, I don't want to do pitches for his, but he, he does run an organization that builds homes, especially adapted homes for um, severely wounded soldiers. But I would just say, get involved in, in your community. Um, and, and also if you're a teacher, administrator, principal in a school, and if you have a military presence in that area, you know, start up a little support group for those kids. Um, because I noticed um, just most recently, well, actually both of our sons were stationed in the DC area. So here you end up renting a house somewhere in a civilian community, your kids go to public schools. And our grandsons were in the Fairfax County public schools. And not every kid is military. You have diplomat kids, you have all, you know, kids from all over the world, but there weren't a lot of just regular U.S. military kids. But I have to say they did start up, there was a little group and, and our grandsons would go during the school day, like just one day a week, it was for 30 minutes and they met with other military kids in a little classroom, there was a facilitator. They would just talk about things, you know, just acknowledge that they're maybe they had somebody deployed or they've just come back from a deployment. So if you're in a position to start up a group like that, I would say do it because you'd be surprised there's there's military kids among us and you you may not even know it. You know, obviously, if you live near a, a large post like Fort Stewart, Georgia or 
Fort Campbell, Kentucky, those those communities outside those large military installations, they usually do have something in place um, in the schools for the kids that are that are military. Um, and I do think that helps. You know, these these military kids, they they get dragged all over the place. Their parents come and go. They need to know that that they're not alone and um, that somebody wants to listen because they do have different a different set of challenges, especially when they start a new school and they've just moved from somewhere else and, and they move all the time. Um, you know, they have other needs and and um, and at the same time, they have a lot of great experiences to offer that school they're going to. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. There's a, you know, it's uh, colleagues of mine who are in um, military towns and so forth. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about the comings and goings sometimes of families and the kids and, and uh, trying to work with them. And I think that's great advice about setting up a group uh, to support yeah. them. It's good stuff. Uh, Vicki, uh, we're getting close to finishing up. If someone wanted to learn more, where would you send them? Um, well, if they want to learn more about me and my books, they can go to Vicki Cody, V-I-C-K-I-C-O-D-Y.com. You can find out all about my books, what I've been up to, um, a lot about my background. Um, and, you know, I feel like my books lead people to maybe not only learning more about military life, but it might you know, spawn something in them where they want to volunteer or get involved in, in their community in a military way. Um, so I, I guess that, that, and I'm on Facebook, Vicki Cody. Um, so you can, you know, connect with me through that. Excellent. Well, I have that information in my show notes, so it'll be easy for them to, to click, especially from a mobile phone. Just uh, click on that uh, show note there, take you straight to your website, so it'll be mm-hmm. good. So I'll have that information there so they can do that. And and uh, I got two last questions I want to ask you, and, okay. and they're just questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Well, I think for some reason, I, I, I was born with a pretty positive attitude um, to start with. I tend to look at the bright side, um, but I found over the years, after the first few times that the army threw a curveball and we canceled the wedding and, you know, various things like that, and I didn't always get my way or get to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, I started to look at finding a silver lining in each of those situations. And you know what? There always was a silver lining. Just like I said with September 11th, as horrible as that event was for everybody, eventually it led me to writing. And most of the challenges that I went through over the years with my husband and and his job, um, there was always something good that came out of it. So I now, you know, I'm now wise age of almost 70. Um, I, I still go into every situation looking at it that way, because I just, I'm, I guess I'm an eternal optimist and I assume it's going to be okay. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Last question. Do you, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yes. um, I do think um, I, I had a professor at the university of Vermont, Dr. Helene Lang, and she taught the children's literature course for all the elementary ed um, 
for the elementary ed uh, department. And um, at the time, I just thought of her as, um, you know, a a doctor, a woman that had um, done great things with children's literature and and brought it into our lives um, in a different way. I'd never dreamed that 20 years after I graduated, I would seek her out when I first thought I wanted to write something. And, and it was after Desert Storm, and I hadn't had any contact with her like in 20 years, but I had this feeling I wanted to write a children's book. So I contacted her, and, and she was still in my husband's hometown of Montpelier. I went to visit her one day, and I said, I think I want to write. This is the first time I ever dreamed that I might be a writer. And she encouraged me and she mentored me. Now, nothing ever came of that book. It was just it's a manuscript that sits in a closet on a shelf um, because the timing was wrong. I didn't know what I was doing at that point. But she I think she was instrumental as well in getting me to go down this path. And I remember she said to me, Vicki, it doesn't always happen when you think it's going to happen. She said, it, it, this may not get off the ground. You know, and sure enough, it didn't. I put it away. And then it wasn't until after September 11th that I really thought, I do want to write something. I'm going to. And that time I was determined and I did it. Um, she's since passed away, so I have no way of getting in touch with her. But I've thought about her over the years. That's excellent. That's excellent. So cool. Uh, you know, uh, Vicki, it was awesome talking with you today. I thank you so much for, for the service to the U.S. that you and your family have given and continue to give. Thank you for writing such important books as Army Wife, A Story of Love and Family in the, in the, in the Heart of the Army, and Fly Safe, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home. I'm wishing you and your family the very best. Well, thank you, Stephen, and it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting with you today, and um, I thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for all that you do for for kids, for schools, administrators, principals, teachers. You do great work, so thank you. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.